Happy Sabbath. It is a privilege to be here with you on the Sabbath day, this weekend. Um, I'm thankful for my friend, Dr. Carl's um, presentation of myself. You have my bio and uh, some of the documents that have been printed, so I won't go through all that. I will say that my wife was supposed to be with me, but wasn't able to make it. I believe she's watching um, there on, on the internet, and so warm greetings to my precious wife. Uh, I do want to share with you <clears throat> that I was not supposed to be here. I had plans to be elsewhere. But the Lord made it very clear to me that he wanted me here this weekend. And so I have come. And I know that he has a blessing in store for all of us. Uh, <clears throat> I want to share that my, my interest in the sanctuary began when I was nine years old. I, my family, well, my mother, my father was an atheist. Uh, my mother was a devout Catholic, and I ended up in an Adventist VBS. And when I was nine, and it was on the sanctuary. And as a boy, <clears throat> the sanctuary left an, an, a deep impression upon me. <clears throat> Later, when I was baptized at age 12, uh, into the Adventist church, I thought that once you were baptized, uh, that one never sins again. A- am I the only one that ever thought that? Am I the only one that's willing to admit that? But anyway, uh, and then of course I saw that I did sin, and I got very discouraged, and I thought to myself that maybe God was busy the day I was baptized and I missed the blessing. And I ended up going back into the world. And uh, I won't go into the details, that's another story. Uh, But it did end in in, in an almost suicide. Um, It was in the process of taking my life when uh, God broke into my world and uh, and let me know that he did value me. And and so I made a decision to, to, to go to the Lord, to follow him. And and this was in my 20s. And I started going to church, and I heard uh, conversations in the church, and it went like this. The sanctuary is very important. And others that said it was not, and it was not relevant to us. Now, can both of those statements be true? Church. They cannot. And so I did something very unusual. I decided to study the Bible for myself. And I discovered that the sanctuary is absolutely critical. Our understanding of it is extremely vital to us. Um, What I learned is that if you were to take every reference, every imagery, every every verse related uh, to the sanctuary from the Bible, your Bible would literally fall apart in your hands. If you want to understand what the New Testament writer is trying to say, you have got to know the sanctuary. Because the, the, the New Testament writer assumes that you know it. And so he uses a lot of imagery, especially when you get into prophecy, into the book of Revelation. Um, in there, what we find is the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is clearly revealed in the sanctuary. I refer to the sanctuary as the great lie detector. There are a number of different versions of righteousness by faith that are being taught out there. And if you run it through the sanctuary, you'll find out if you got the true one or not. The sanctuary 
is the is is the, the great lie detector. And it's the only thing that makes us as Seventh-day Adventists unique. It's not vegetarianism, it's not the Sabbath. It's the sanctuary. All of our teachings, every teaching of the word is found there. But the reason it interested me wasn't because I had some interest in the ancient Hebrew style of worship. I was a sinner who wanted victory. And I read in the Bible that God promised it. And I wanted it. And I struggled like crazy to understand it. All kinds of people teaching all kinds of stuff on victory today. I wanted what God was offering me in the Word. And I found it in the sanctuary. And that's what I'll be sharing with you this weekend. What we'll be doing in looking at the sanctuary, I'm going to take a very practical look at the sanctuary. In other words, how to apply it to your life. I'm not going to be going into blue means this and gold means that, as important as that may be. But rather, how to apply what the sanctuary teaches into our lives. I want to uh, share with you some quotes from the spirit of prophecy in regards to the sanctuary. And let's see if, this, if I'm doing it right. I think I'm pushing the right button, but the screen hasn't moved. Maybe there's a button that says on. There it is, but I don't know that it happened because I pushed the button. But anyway, let's take a look <clears throat> at um, this quote found in Great Controversy 488. The sanctuary in heaven is the what? The very center of Christ's work in man's behalf. Okay, this is really a significant statement. By the way, uh, before we go any further, I want to say something about the writings of Ellen White. Um, you really have to hang on the words that Sister White chooses. This is extremely important. Ellen White did not exaggerate. Ellen White classified exaggeration as lying. Sister White had a tremendous burden upon herself. God had raised her up and then was communicating through her to the church. And so she had to select the right words to communicate uh, the message God was trying to relate. Are you with me? I didn't hear anything. D did you hear me? This is vitally important. You see, you and I live in a society where we exaggerate all the time. We tell people we were in line forever. And there's no truth in that. We, were not, we weren't anywhere forever. Uh, we, we, we could say, oh, they scared me. I almost died. You did not almost die. You know? I saw my bill. I almost had a heart attack. You did not almost have a heart attack. And so what happens, my friends, is we have the tendency of reading this bad habit that we have into her writings. And we miss... We miss what she's trying, the, the, the impact, the full power of what she's trying to communicate. We're not getting half of what she's trying to tell us. You know, she had a third grade education, and that's why she had this entourage around her at all times to help her select the right words. So that she didn't have a word processor. So she, she had a bunch of people that were her word processor. And so right here, she is saying that the sanctuary is the very center. It is the control center in the activities that are taking place right now to save you and me. That's what this is saying. 
It is the very center. Now, you know, in times of warfare, when two armies are fighting, if one army discovers the control center of the other army, what's the game plan? It's to destroy that control center. To destroy their capacity to make war, to make organized warfare. Um, and so since the devil cannot launch a nuclear missile in the sanctuary of heaven, what he has done is he has succeeded to obliterate it from the minds of the Christian world. Many people think that Christ is somewhere in heaven building a house for them when he created everything in six days. No, my friends, he is working there on your and my behalf. Thank you. The sanctuary in heaven is the very center of Christ's work on behalf of man. It concerns how many souls? Oh, stay with me so nice and loud so I don't feel so alone. It concerns how many souls? Living upon the earth. It opens to view the plan of redemption, bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumphant issue of the contest between righteousness and sin. In other words, it's prophetic. It is of the how much importance? Hey, what's more important than utmost? It is of the utmost importance that how many? All should thoroughly investigate this subject and be able to give an account to everyone that asketh them a reason of the hope that is in them. So our understanding of the sanctuary better allows us to be able to communicate the hope that we have. In other words, as we know and understand the sanctuary, our hope will increase. Let's continue with the next quote. <clears throat> The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be what? Clearly. Clearly understood. And if you've never read Great Controversies, chapters 18 to 28, my Adventist friends, the time has come. 18 to 28. We need to know who we are before we can fulfill our mission. The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. How many? <clears throat> All need a knowledge for themselves of the position and the work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be... Now, remember what we just said about Ellen White exaggerating? She doesn't. Without this knowledge for ourselves, it will be impossible. There are no games here. My friends, the final crisis is before us. No one is going to stand in groups. We will stand or fall individually. We need an experience that we have not gotten yet, but will be had through the sanctuary. Otherwise, it will be impossible for them to exercise what? What's the word, first one? Faith. Faith. That means trust, which is essential at this time, or occupy the position which God desires them to fill. I want you to remember something about sin. Before there can be sin, there has to be distrust. There has to be a lack of faith. And, and as we understand the work of God, as we understand the plan of salvation to the sanctuary, it will strengthen our faith to face what's coming. I love this um, next quote. Oh, here's the, here's the series. We're going to look at it right quick here. The first is the sanctuary prayer. That's going to be our, I'm going to jump into this here in a moment. And what we're going to find is the sanctuary is actually a model for prayer. And uh, I chose this as our opening presentation 
Uh, so that for those who are familiar with the sanctuary, this is going to be a refresher for you. But those who are new to the sanctuary, this is going to help you to come up to speed so you can stay with us in the remaining presentation. The second presentation is entitled The Daily Today. And in the daily uh, service, we're going to learn how to walk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And in that walk, we're going to discover God's plan to give us victory over sin. The third is the good news of the judgment. Uh, you know, <clears throat> when people think of the judgment, they tend to have fear. And what they're afraid of is the Father. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. When that presentation is done, you will not be afraid of the Father at all. But there is something to fear. We're going to learn what that is. But it won't be Him. And the next one, the last one we're going to look at is the one entitled, uh, Why Jesus Waits. We're going to discover that the sanctuary actually explains the reason for the delay in the second coming. It will tell us. King David was a student of the sanctuary. One day I, I hoped to sit down and ask him a question. I wonder if his interest in the sanctuary really took off after his fail, epic failure with Bathsheba. You know, it's not until you realize how big a sinner you are that you come to realize how big a savior you need. And, and, I, I, and, and his, he makes some amazing statements, but this is one that to me is, is just foundational. And that's found in Psalm 77, verse 13. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. I have found this to be true. I pray that you have as well, and if you haven't yet, then you will by the time we're done. God gave the sanctuary to the children of Israel as a mechanism of instruction. God was going to show them how he planned to deal with the sin problem. This is amazing to me that we serve a God that actually cares about what we think. He wants us to be involved and to understand what he's doing. Part of the reason is for that plan to fully unfold. We have to cooperate with him. Today, what we're going to look at uh, it, it, today, the sanctuary points out to us what Jesus has done in the past, what he's doing for us right now, and what he's about to do for us in the future. And um, there was an excellent illustration today, or maybe it wasn't presented today, but uh, on, on the sanctuary being a shadow, an image. That's what I caught, Pastor, as you were sharing today. That image idea really locked in on me. But, you know, we, if, if you can see my shadow here, and I was hiding behind a post, the shadow communicates something to you. It tells you that there's somebody behind the post. Isn't that true? So if you and I want to know or understand what Jesus Christ is doing for us, you ha in heaven, we have to study the, the shadow in an effort for us to understand and be able to follow him. Now, as I mentioned, it's going to be a practical approach. Uh, so we're going to look at it as a model for prayer. And I actually pray through the sanctuary for two reasons. One of them is, is that I have the attention span of a gnat with ADD. If my wife were here in the front row, she would be nodding. I have, and so my mind when I pray goes all over the place, and I'm sure I'm the only person in this room that has that problem. But, <clears throat> but the sanctuary actually helps me to maintain my focus as I move through the apartment, as I move through each furniture, and each furniture actually tells me what to pray for. So not only does the, 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 the sanctuary model for prayer help me to maintain my focus, but it also tells me uh, what it need, do I need to be uh, praying for. It also prepares my heart, by the way, to approach 
a mighty God. Now, I want to say right now that the sanctuary prayer is not the only way to pray. It's just the way I choose to. Does that make sense? And I do that mostly during my early morning devotional time. Now, uh, you should have handouts that I will be going through. This is an opportunity. In, in all the presentations that I'll be giving, there will be handouts. Uh, so you can check on the preacher later. And also gives you an opportunity to study more deeply for yourselves. This morning, we're going to look at the sanctuary from three perspectives. The first is through the ministration of the earthly priest. The earthly priest, his actual activities was a sermon. I don't know if you realize this, but Israel did not go to the sanctuary of Sabbath to hear a sermon. They went to see one. They went to the sanctuary to see a sermon and the activities that took place. So we're going to be looking at the earthly priest and uh, what uh, his activities were at each station, each furnisher, and then how it points to Jesus Christ and how that prompts me to pray. We're going to begin with a word of prayer. And I want to say this. You know, God is doing something this weekend for you that... um, as I was listening to my pastor brother present, I'm seeing a harmony in what's being presented. And it's not by coincidence. We do not know how much time we have left. It could be months before this thing goes crazy on us. We don't know. So I, I, I want to, if you get sleepy, you will not offend me if you get up and walk in the back. I often do that. Um, but fight it. Don't give in to it. Um, and be praying for your presenters that our humanness won't get in the way of what God is wanting to communicate with you today. So I'm going to kneel, and I'm going to humbly request if you will join me kneeling before our Creator God. Dear God, our loving Father, Savior, and Friend, We humbly come before you. You are the source of every good thing in our lives. We thank you for the incredible gift of your dear son to cleanse us of our filth, our sin, and to save us from our hopeless condition. We thank you for that blood that washes away our sin and stain that you are so willing to do to the heart that comes to you, to the soul that comes to you and asks for it. Lord, we ask for the righteousness of Jesus to cover us because we have no righteousness of our own to offer you. And we ask, Lord, for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So, Lord, your people are gathered. We have invited your presence, and by faith we go forward, thanking you even now for the blessings that you are about to bestow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with a quote found in Great Controversy. Wrong direction. It says, Satan well knows that how many? All who he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures might be, will be. Remember, no exaggeration. All will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, he invents every possible device to engross the mind. In this last generation, the cell phone and the computer have done an excellent job. My friends, if we spent half the time with God and his word that we spent on the cell phone, 
and the computer, what amazing Christians we would be. Am I right? About four amens. Okay, I'll continue. Um, the, the, the thing is, and I say this humbly, but if we do not have a, a daily devotional life, spending time connecting with Jesus Christ, our hope of heaven is in vain. I am not saved by church membership. I can stand inside of my garage and call myself a car. It doesn't make me one. And I can go to church every Sabbath and call myself a Christian. It doesn't make me one. It's time with Christ, yielding to his teaching in my life, spending time talking and listening to him that makes me a Christian. You know, when I first started, I couldn't, it just seemed to me giving God time in the devotional life was too much time. It's crazy how we manage to find time for things we like, though. But I want to challenge that if there's anyone here, maybe a young person, if there's anyone, and by the way, my kids started their devotional life when they were less than 10. And we never told them, by the way, they watched their parents every morning. When they went to the bathroom in the darkness of the morning, they saw their mother under a lamp there in the living room, and they saw the light in the study downstairs. They knew what their parents were doing. And one morning I saw a light on in the, in, the, in the rooms of my children and they were spending time with God. But give them five minutes. Just start with five. Just start, open, just have your alarm clock five minutes early. Give them five minutes, give them five. And maybe it's just reading a chapter in scripture and then having a little book, a little prayer book where we say, we write down our prayer requests. Pastor, God never answers my prayer. I'll tell you why, because you don't write them down. Because if you did, you would see how he was answering your prayers left and right. So, so give him five minutes each day, and I promise you that the time will come very quickly. Five minutes will not be enough. Very important. So the first thing the sanctuary teaches us is the model for when worship begins. And the timing for that is found in the sanctuary. <clears throat> in a service called the daily. And every day, the priest would offer a burnt Afri uh, uh, sacrifice, which is a dedicatory sacrifice. And he would wash his hands and his feet, uh, which prepared him for service. He made sure that uh, the menorah was lit, the table, there was the bread of the show bread was at the table, and the incense on the golden altar. And this activity was known as the daily. We're going to talk about this one later. It was known as the yearly. It took place once a year. But this one here was known as the daily. You know, I, I skipped something. I'm going to mention one thing before we, I get into this. <clears throat> the sanctuary entrance was located on the east. And if I ask a room full of Adventists, why was it on the east? The good Adventist answer is because the competing religion of the day was sun worship. And that's Baal worship. And Baal worshipers, the sun worshipers, which worshipped on Sunday, by the way, that was their day, they faced east where the sun rose. And so, so as a safeguard to protect them from entering into that form of worship, God had them face west if they were going to worship him. Do I hear an amen? Now, <clears throat> I would say that is a secondary application. It's not the primary. The primary is found in Genesis chapter 3. And we know Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation account. 
we're going to Genesis chapter 3, which we know uh, the early verses is the temptation and fall of man. Then uh, the, the result of that choice, um, where God institutes the plan of salvation. But I'm going to pick up on verses 22, 24. If you're there, please say amen. And I'm picking up verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, least he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Let me pause right there. How would you like to be an eternal sinner? Isn't God merciful? Praise God. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the, what? East of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, when Adam and Eve left the garden, which direction did they walk? They walked east. You remember when Cain kills Abel, which direction does he go? East symbolizes walking away from the Father. So, if you want to go back to God, if you want to be reconnected to the Father, what direction do you have to go? And so, what we find in the sanctuary is the process back. And it ends with a service called the Day of Atonement, the Atonement, the reunification of the Creator with the creation. Does this make sense? All right. So now, <clears throat> let's take a look at the daily, at those, 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 uh, those parts that we just talked about that direct us west, brazen altar, laver of water, uh, the, the menorah, the table of showbread, the golden altar, and then, of course, later we'll talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And what would happen at the beginning of each day is that the priest would be looking at the horizon, and when the sun broke the horizon, he would blow the shofar. And that was the signal in Israel that it was time to pray. They would look to the sanctuary, and at, at that time, they would dedicate their lives to God. That's how the Israelite began his day, rededicating his life to the Lord. And how does this point me to Jesus? Well, this is what Jesus did each day when he started his day. <clears throat> In Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. So <clears throat> why the morning? Why not in the afternoon? I remember hearing a, a preacher on the radio once uh, confront this question. He, he asked a question. He says, when does a warrior put on his battle, before or after the battle? before. If you don't, you're going to end up with the loser's prayer. Lord, I'm sorry I did this. Lord, I'm sorry I did that. Lord, sorry I should have done. But in the beginning of the day, we go to the Lord asking him to give us our um, orders for the day. And so that's when I begin my prayer. And I, I have actually now, I no longer use an alarm clock. I ask God to wake me up in the morning, and he does. And there are some mornings, I don't know if you've had this experience, when he's waking me up really early, and I'm like, Lord, there's something wrong with your clock. <laughs> but I've discovered 
that on that day I had some unique challenges waiting for me. How many have found the same to be true? I found that I had a very unique challenge waiting for me. There was a reason why God was waking me up. He was saying, hey, I know what's coming down the pike. You and I need to talk. So the sanctuary is not only a model for the time, but also a model for how to pray. And um, we find here the, the entering the gates of the outer court. And it was here that the priest met the repentant sinner, the door to the sanctuary. When the repentant sinner came, he was met there at that gate, which is so precious, that only entrance in. And how does that gate point us to Jesus? In John 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the what? The door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? That means, and I say this respectfully, Buddha will not save us. Muhammad will not save us. My good works will not save me. It will not save us. Jesus is the only one who's going to save me. And so King David shares with us the attitude of the worshiper as he comes into the presence of the Almighty. In Psalms 100, verses 1 through 5, he writes, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with what? With singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving and into his courts with what? Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And so, as I begin my worship time with the Lord, I will begin by thanking him and praising him. I thank him for the things that he has done in my life. That's, that's what we thank him for, the things he's given to us, the things he's done. And I praise him for who he is for being gracious and kind and merciful with a sinner like me. I thank him and I praise him. You know, my friends, <clears throat> you know, Sister White tells us that when we praise God, angels of light draw near. How cool is that, starting your worship with the angels being right there with you? But when we murmur and complain, if, worshiping, if praising God brings the angels of God near, what would murmuring and complaining do? It would draw them away and finish it. It would, it would draw the dark angels to us. How many think that's a disgusting thought? How many want to be surrounded by dark angels? So now that you know this, how many have made a decision they're not going to murmur and complain anymore? I won't even ask for a show of hands. <clears throat> I pray we take that to heart, but that's, that's really what's going down when we do that. But when we praise God, the angels of light draw near. And as we do that, it's really funny, I have found in my life that when I stop to think about God and what he's done for me in my past, as I thank him and praise him, God gets bigger and my problems get smaller. But when I murmur and complain, my problems get bigger and my God gets smaller. Take a look at this quote found in uh, Prophets and Kings, uh, page 202. If more praising of God were engaged in now, hope and courage and faith would steadily what? Increase. 
My friends, we are entering into earth's darkest hour. We have got to develop the attitude of gratitude. Why? Because we all need faith, and we all need hope, and we need courage. Isn't that right? We're not going to stand for God without these things. And as we praise him and thank him, we were told we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget uh, how God has led us in the past and his past teachings. So as we continue to re- re- rehearse these things in our minds, it will encourage and strengthen us. And, you know, so there comes those moments in our lives when we're so discouraged that it's hard to think of something to thank God for. I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you haven't, you will be. But when that day comes, just go through the alphabet. Just will yourself through it. Fake it till you make it. Letter A, okay, what can I thank God for that begins with apples? Okay, Lord, thank you for apples. It keeps the doctor away. It keeps me healthy. B, um, bees, bees make honey. Lord, I love honey. Thank you. And just keep doing that. And hope and courage and faith will increase. Thank him and praise him. Draw, draw those things. So that's what I do when I begin my devotional time with God. Before asking, I praise and thank him. Uh, now we enter into the outer court. In the outer court, we find uh, two furnishings. One is the brazen altar, and the other is the labor of water. We're going to take a look first at the brazen altar. It was at the brazen altar that the sin and the sinner were separated. Now listen. If I understand how this thing rolls, got to pay attention. So as, as an Israelite, I know that as an account of my sin, I have to bring an innocent victim, okay? So I came to the sanctuary. The priest met me at the gate, and he, he escorted me in and shared with me what the role was I was about to play. I then would place my hands upon the lamb. This is extremely significant because what is happening now symbolically, this is what God was trying to teach each Israelite, is that my sin that I had committed now is transferred onto the lamb. Then I had to take the knife, which was to communicate to me that this innocent victim who represents the Almighty is going, the, the, the Messiah who would come would die on account of my sin. And then I had to take the life of the innocent victim. As the life flowed out of the innocent victim, the priest would then catch the blood. So now the sin that was on me was transferred to the lamb. It's now caught symbolically in the bowl. The priest then would go into the sanctuary and would sprinkle it seven times before the veil. Uh, and this, the, the message here is that the sin that was on me was now on the lamb, uh, then in the blood, has now been transferred. So the record of that sin is now in the sanctuary, and, and we're going to revisit that when we get into the most holy place, because it's not done yet. Did you hear me? This is extremely significant. It's not done yet. You know, there are people out there that are teaching that once the animal died, once uh, the, the lamb was killed, that that was it. It was all over. The Hebrew knew that if the blood of that animal did not make it into the sanctuary, there was no pardon for his sin. So the death of the lamb, what it does is it provides atonement. You won't find a scripture anywhere in the Bible that says that the mere killing of the lamb provided atonement. I mean, made atonement. It provided atonement, didn't make atonement. But you will find 
throughout the Old Testament that the priest applied the blood and made atonement for the people. Ah, oh, y'all are quiet. This is extremely significant if you understand the plan of salvation. The plan involves two things. It's a two-step process. One is that the sin has to come in, and two is that the sin has to come out. You with me? All right. So now that blood has been transferred there. Now, how does this lamb remind me of Jesus? John 1.29 tells me um, that the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so it is at the brazen altar where sin and sinners are separated. And so the brazen altar points us to the cross of Jesus. And so during my worship time, it's here that I ask God to forgive me. And I review the last 24 uh, hours of my, uh, my day, um, the previous day, and I, I, I review them with the Lord, and I ask God if any sin there is revealed to forgive me. Now, <clears throat> God expects specific confessions. Amen. Lord, if I have sinned, please forgive me. Have you ever had... Um, have you ever had somebody hurt you, offend you, and they come to you later and say, you know, if I've done something wrong, did that go over really well? What they're really saying is, I don't think I did anything, but you look kind of upset, so. No, what really matters is if somebody looks you in the eye and says, you know, I did this, I am so sorry, will you please forgive me? Is that meaningful? And so God wants us to have a meaningful experience by coming to him and calling sin by its right name. If I was impatient with my wife, that's a sin. If I spoke unkindly to my children, that is a sin. If I was short with that annoying co-worker, that misrepresented the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a sin. Are you with me? And so we are to go to the Lord and confess. And so this is a time that I confess my sins to the Lord. And so I'm just allowing you to enter into my devotional time each morning. The next thing we go to now is to the labor of washing. And it was at the labor of washing where the priest would wash his hands and feet from all defilement before he began service. And so the water experience for the priest was a signal to serve. How does this point us to Jesus in um, we find that in Luke 3, 21 through 23, Jesus had a water experience before he entered service. It came to pass that Jesus also was, what? Baptized. And when he prayed, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself, what's the next word? began his ministry at about 30 years of age. So Jesus then um, begins his ministry through a water experience. How many here have been baptized? You have been called to service. Amen. Baptism is a call to service. And so right here during my demo morning devotional time, I asked the Lord to write his laws on my heart. Wasn't that a beautiful song that we just heard? I ask God to write his laws in my heart. I rededicate my life to Christ every morning. I ask him to create in me a clean heart 
to renew a right spirit within me. I ask him to take my heart because I can't give it to him. I ask him to keep it pure for me because I can't for him. And I ask him to take myself, my weak, unchristlike self, and to mold me in the very atmosphere of heaven where the rich current of his love will flow through my soul. Each morning I recommit my life to him. And now I enter into, oops, the holy place, and we find three furnitures there. On the north side, the table of showbread, the south side, the, the menorah, and on the far western end is the golden altar. <clears throat> and we're going to look first at the lampstand. The lampstand was the only uh, light source in the holy place. It was made out of uh, beaten gold, one piece, 75 talents, and uh, there were no candlesticks there, by the way. It was oil was, just, was the fuel that was used. And what is oil a symbol of? The Holy Spirit. The job of the priest was to ensure that the light never went out. He was told that light is never to go out. Why? Because it represents Jesus Christ. And in John eight twelve, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We learned that at his baptism, Jesus was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. That's his source. So if you and I are going to shine for Jesus, we need to be filled too. Every day. So I ask the Lord as I begin my day, this prompts me to ask him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Take a look at this quote found in volume, oh, volume 6, no, yeah, 6T, 117. We need and must have fresh supplies. How often? So, so today isn't going to suffice for tomorrow. Every day. And all heaven is what? You know, that, that one thing to me, remember she doesn't exaggerate. How much, is, how much of heaven? Each day, heaven is anxious to know which of us wants to be filled. Every day, heaven is eager to know who wants to shine for Jesus Christ. They are eager to, fill, to, to, to see that we get that. God wants us to be filled, and, and he's waiting for us to ask. All heaven is waiting for channels through which can be poured the holy oil to be a joy and a blessing for others. You know, right now we're living in, a t- in the time of the early rain, and, and I submit to you, and I have a quote to show you. Maybe I can show you later on. But in the giving of, of the message of righteousness by faith, the sprinkling of the latter rain begins. We keep looking for it in the future, and that is a fatal mistake. It is available to us now. The, latter, the early rain is for character development and latter rain for the completion of God's work here on earth. And so I pray to be filled. I want revival, which means an awareness of what's wrong in my life. I want revival, uh, reformation, which means a change. And then I want continuation. Amen? So let's continue now to the table of showbread. Table of showbread, on the table were 12 round loaves, six on each side, and they, uh, the priest made sure each Sabbath that there was a fresh two stacks that were placed there, and they were to remind Israel that God was the one who provided all of their needs, physically as well as spiritually. How does this point me to Jesus? John 6.48 says, the words of Jesus uh, I am what? 
the bread of life. Jesus is the one who provides for us physically and spiritually, and he does it, of course, through the word. I love the words of Paul here, Philippians 4.19. He says, And my God shall supply how many of your needs? All of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so right here, as I start my day, I will have my day planner. Yes, I still use one of those. Uh, I'm using more and more my cell phone as I'm starting to learn how to use it more and more. <laughs> but my kids are all gone, so I've got to figure this out myself. And, uh, but each day I go through the list of things that I need to do that day. And, and as I do that, I, go, I talk to God about each appointment. I talk to God about each meeting. I talk to God about each challenge. As I'm doing this, God is bringing to my mind what to do about those situations. It's amazing. You better have something to write with when God brings it to your mind because if you go, I'll write that down later, you'll remember to bring a pencil the next time because you'll forget it. And it's amazing to me how often God redirects my day. He'll say, you don't need to do that today. Bill can do that. Let him handle that. Or he'll say, you know, that doesn't have to be done today. You can do that next week. And so the Lord will show me what to do as I'm spending time with him. But I go through my day planner uh, and I present it to him so that he can be the lead and the guide of my life. And many times I get great ideas, and so I write those down. Number six, the golden altar. The golden altar stood between the, the veil that separated the holy from the most holy, and as the priest ministered at the golden altar, it actually brought him the closest to God than any other work that he would do in the tabernacle. I think that ought to send us a message. That's amazing. Can you imagine being the priest and knowing that just a few feet beyond the veil was the presence of the Almighty? You could see his light, the glory shining over the top of the veil. Hey, do you think that'd give you chills? That must have been an amazing experience to know he was on the other side. So how does this point me? Uh, oh, and what the priest was doing, he applied the incense. And in Psalms 141, verse 2, it reminds us, let my prayer be set before you as incense. So in the morning and evening sacrifice, as the priest was applying the incense, Israel was looking towards the tabernacle. That incense was symbolic of their prayers. How does this point me to the Lord Jesus Christ? And, um, oh, 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 I want to hit this one first. Oh, did I already do that one? No, there it is. First um, Timothy two five. For there is one mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man who, Christ Jesus. In Hebrews seven twenty five, I love this, referring to Christ's work. Therefore, he Jesus is also able to save what, to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, couldn't Paul had just said, said, therefore he is also able to save those who come to him, uh, who come to God through him? Couldn't he? Paul had said that. He didn't have to add to the uttermost. I love the fact that he did. He's sending us some, a message that no matter how far you, far you and I may have fallen into sin, Jesus Christ can reach down deeper still. That's the message. God is a better Savior than you are a sinner. I love that. that, that. Okay, now let's take a look um, at this quote here. Oh, and during my devotional time, I, I always begin with my family. I pray for my wife first. I pray for God to be with her, to bless her. 
And then uh, I pray for my children. Now, when I was, when my children were very small, my son was five. Is that right? Yeah, five. My daughter was one. I got the idea of praying for their spouses, wherever they may be. So I have been praying for 20, over 20 years for the spouses of my kids, and I think I met them already. Uh, they're both dating, wonderful kids. I was praying for their parents as well. And uh, so I lift them up in prayer. I pray also for my church family. I pray for my classmates. I'm praying for my church leaders and civil leaders, and we had better be doing that. Hey, I, I don't know if you know this, but the, the, the devil worshipers, they do prayer too. And they're praying for the, the leaders of your church, and they're praying for the leaders of the world. We had better get involved, friends, praying for our world leaders and our civil leaders. Extremely, extremely important. I pray for my community. I pray for, uh, my, I pray for my past students and my, uh, my classmates I went to academy with. I still lift them up in my prayer. Okay, now this quote, which I think is amazing. Now look at this quote. <clears throat> Does Sister White exaggerate? At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole hosts tremble. They tremble. What is it they know? They know that when a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, goes to their knees and earnestly cries out to God, that that prayer activates heaven's strategic air command. That's what they know. They, they know full well that when we pray, God hears. Look at this quote. Now, I want you to picture, get the imagery here. Ministering angels are doing what? They're waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ in answer to some... Every prayer offered in earnest living faith. So picture, if you can, the throne room. Jesus sitting on the throne, looking down on earth and seeing a family kneeling to pray. And as that family is praying, Jesus is watching intently. Angels now gather because they want to know what he's looking at. And they see the family and they know something's about to happen. They look to Jesus. Those big muscles are bulging, twitching, waiting. Jesus turns to one and goes... I will picture that. You know what the sad thing is? Many of those angels wait in vain. Because oftentimes to us our situation looks hopeless. So we don't pray. When we have the monarch of the universe waiting for us to share with him our problems and invite him into our situation. I want to I share something with you. Have you ever heard of the term military? Um, it's a military term. It's called rules of engagement. How many of you have heard that? Rules of engagement. It's kind of strange, because when you think of armies and people killing each other, and there's actual rules, hey, wait, you broke the rules. But there's actually rules in warfare. During World War I, there were no rules. So they threw everything that they could possibly find at each other, and they had terrible chemical weapons that were used, horrible deaths. After World War I, everybody got together and said, hey, no more chemical warfare. World War II comes along, no chemical warfare is used. And there are other rules uh, now they don't want made napalm after uh, the Vietnam War. The world saw what napalm does, and they said, no more napalm. So there's actually rules. In the battle between Christ and Satan, there are rules. There's rules of engagement. Satan cannot force himself into your life. You have to invite him. Yeah. 
Christ will not force himself into your life either. He needs to be invited. So when you, when you and I pray for someone else, let's say you have a friend who is wayward, they're lost, uh, are they praying for themselves? So now you decide to pray for that individual. Angel shows up uh, and Satan says, hey, 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 you have no jurisdiction here because this person has not asked for your help. And the angel says, buzz off, friend. George just prayed for him. I stand before you today because I had a mother who knew how to pray. I stand before you today. I was lost in the world, was not praying for myself. But I had a mother who grabbed hold of her wayward son and grabbed the throne of grace in prayer and was able to see me ordained as a pastor. She's sleeping in Jesus today, but I'm here because of those faithful prayers. Don't you ever give up or never allow Satan to discourage you from praying. So now we enter into the most holy place. Here we find the Ark of the Testimony. It's the place where the visible presence of God dwelt. And it was here that once a year on the Day of Atonement that the high priest would enter this room to remove the sins of the people that had symbolically been transferred to the sanctuary each day over the past year. And the Jews referred to the Day of Atonement as the Day of Judgment. And we know what he would do. The priest would come in and would everywhere where the blood was, he would get the blood from the uh, scapegoat, Azazel, would clean it, and then at the end would place all the record of those sins on uh, Azazel, the scapegoat, and thus the sanctuary would be cleansed. And how does this point us to Jesus? Uh, well, in Daniel 7.13, we find that at the end of the 2300-day prophecy in 1844, Jesus moved from the holy place into the most holy to begin his third and final work in the plan of salvation to save us on the Day of Atonement. And this verse is really interesting because uh, if we had been alive on October 22, 1844, and we had read this, we would be reading exactly what was transpiring in heaven. It says, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And this reminds me that I need to be making sure that everything's right between my soul and my Savior. Listen to me. If there is something in your life that you know should not be there, this is the time to get rid of it. And, and, if, and if we are not spending time with Jesus, we will have neither the inclination nor the power to do it. But as I draw closer to Christ, Christ will begin to shed light on that thing that's coming between us and him, and it will become repulsive to us. Are you with me? And, and so during this time, I'm asking God to reveal to me, to show me if there's anything that's coming between me and him. And in Daniel 2, we're reminded that he is the revealer of what? Of secrets. And uh, again, David, just all through it, when you talk about the sanctuary, Psalms 19.12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me, cleanse me from my secret what? This is actually an appeal for judgment. He's asking, he's, he's asking for an investigation. Jeremiah picks up this idea, Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. The heart is what? Above all things. Let me, let me stop right there. <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all things. Based on Jeremiah's words, what is more deceitful than the human heart? Zilch. 
The human heart is deceitful above all things, and not only is it wicked, that would have been enough. We would have said yes and amen. What kind of wicked is it? That's you and me. Desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his doing. And in Psalms 139, 23, and 24, again, an invitation for investigation. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so it is in this period in my worship time that I ask God to, to, you know, Lord, is there anything there between you and me? Am I playing games with you? Please help me. Is there anything in my past? Uh, Is there anything I have not asked for forgiveness for? Is there anyone I have not uh, corrected something I have done or said? I ask him. But it's also a time of intimacy. I share with God my dreams. Do you have dreams? I ask God about my dreams um, and, 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 and any concerns or personal needs that I may have, I present them to them. So I have just walked you through my devotion each day. I really encourage you to give it a try. Just try it. I, I like the sanctuary prayer because the sanctuary prayer helps me to focus while I pray to Jesus. And at the same time, it, re, it reminds me to approach him respectfully. And it also tells me what to pray for. It also is constantly reminding me of what he's done and what he's doing for me right now in the heavenly sanctuary. You have those handouts with you. You can try this out when you have an opportunity. Let's close out now with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this time you have given to us. And I thank you so much for revealing to us through the sanctuary how to approach you and um, what to pray for. I pray now for your blessings upon all the students here today. I pray for a special anointing upon them as they go to eat their food. Bless them. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you will bring us back again this afternoon, that we may continue to sit at your feet and to learn more about you. Thank you for this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org